I, I already coughed and blew my nose once. Enjoy. Okay, so I have two topic ideas. Uh, one of them is what I kept trying to do last week, and we never got around to it, which is automatic. And so I figured we could start there if I don't have any complaints or requests for follow-up. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I, I think uh, the big problem with uh, this, so what we're talking about for the listeners, um, is it's automatic.com, right, is their site? I believe that's right. And it's it, it, it's, a, it's a set of, is it iPhone only or iPhone and Android? I think it's both. I don't know, to be honest. Uh, I think maybe it's iPhone first, but the Android coming soon. Something like, Anyway, it's at least an iPhone uh, app platform that includes an app and services that, that uh, mimic or replace a lot of premium car services, such as built-in navigation, the uh, roadside assistance, and things like that that usually you have to get as part of your car if you want it all built in. And, uh, you know, we discussed previously about aftermarket uh, navigation systems versus stock navigation systems and paying for navigation. And this looks like a pretty cool alternative. I guess the problem I have with it, uh, or with discussing it right now, is that none of us have ever tried it because it's not out yet. Right. So and we don't really know how good it is. Why should that stop us, though? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> What's wrong with you? Uh, no, I don't really understand why this is awesome. And and I, I want to like it, but I don't see what this really gets me. And, that, and I don't think that's me being the newly reformed snob jerk bmw driver even for the subaru i don't know what this really buys me in the sense that my phone already had navigation my phone doesn't currently have the ability to read um check engine light codes or or whatever uh, which is very neat so you can diagnose engine problems because the way automatic works is you plug this little bluetooth enabled box into the obd is that right onboard diagnostics obd2 port that's typically uh, around the around your left knee if you drive on the correct side of the road as the driver. And anyway, so you plug this this box into the OBD2 port. It beams things via Bluetooth, I think low energy, to your phone. And so you can do things like see what check engine lights are being thrown or what other codes are being thrown. It'll tell you how good your mileage is and whether you drive like a jerk like Marco and I or if you drive like a human like John. <laughs> and to be honest, I think that is that seems to be the thing that that I got from their website that they're most excited about is telling you how to drive more responsibly from an economical perspective. And I just don't care. And I know it sh- certainly would make a huge difference, but I just don't think that that really is, is fixing a problem I have in my life, but maybe I missed the boat. I don't know. What did you guys glean from this? I, I think you're right. I mean, and yeah, I, I guess I probably should have had the website open when I made my first opening statements. Now I do have it open and I'm being reminded of all this stuff uh, that, yeah, it does seem like, I mean, there's a lot of other interesting stuff here. Things like the, uh, you know, the the OBD, ODB, ODB is a wrapper. OBD is the port. Okay, <laughs> um, isn't he dead? Anyway, uh, there's um, it, there's a lot here, and I think a lot of it could be very compelling. So, you know, it has it says it calls for help in a crash, so it has like the roadside assistance kind of thing um, that a lot of cars have built in. But you know, it has this in this app, and we should say the app. Um, it's currently they, they say pre-order the uh, little dongle for seventy bucks, and I guess it just includes the app services for no additional charge, maybe, or is there a subscription? I think it says there's no subscription somewhere, but yeah, it, that is correct. That could change in the future. Who knows? But so far, it looks like it's seventy bucks one time, which of course is dramatically cheaper than buying these things for your car. Uh, stock from the manufacturer in almost every case uh, this is dramatically cheaper so it has stuff like that um, it has like a, a find your car when it's parked kind of thing um, like, like there, there's a bunch of services like this but yeah you're right that all the stuff that uses the uh, obd port 
with the exception of telling me engine error codes, which honestly doesn't happen very often, so it's it's not not that useful to me. Um, all the stuff about monitoring your mileage and how how economically and responsibly you're driving, I would also want to turn all that off because, uh, you know, I'm not one of those like hyper myling um, hybrid people. Like if you if you if you're really into that, then this could be really useful to you. But I I think between the three of us, obviously Casey, you and I will not at all be interested in that because <laughs> if you're interested in gas mileage, generally you don't buy BMWs at all, uh, and and certainly the way we drive them. Uh, is is not particularly fuel efficient. Um, now, John, you seem like you would actually care about this stuff. So, would you actually use this uh, for your car? And would you would you actually care about the uh, the the mileage evaluations and it telling you when you're being a good driver or not? Well, I thought Casey was the one who like writes down how much gas he puts in, does all this meticulous record keeping. Wasn't he the uh, yes the bookkeeper? But that, so but I don't that has... do that. So it's obvious I don't care about. <laughs> I don't measure my mileage at all. Like, I mean, I care about it in that I like not having to fill up the tank very often. And, you know, I buy relatively high mileage cars, but I'm not sitting there figuring out what my mileage is. So I don't really care. But like when I look at this, I think of two things. One, the first thing I was thinking of is would I would I buy this? Because, I mean, it does look like it's cheap, like 70 bucks. You know, so what? My wife's already got an iPhone, so that's not like, oh, well, you got to buy an $800 phone that costs $2,000 over three years. Well, we already got that stupid phone. So, you know, it's 70 bucks, right? Uh, and the one feature that it has that I thought that she would actually use is the thing where you find your car. That's not to imply that she loses her cars in parking lots, but it's just, you know, I mean, maybe even I would use it. You know, occasionally I come out into a big parking lot. I didn't pay attention to where I parked. It's, you know, I know the general area. It's nice to have it pinpointed, but... This whole website and this entire product, just the reason I look at it and I get simultaneously excited and disgusted is that like this, I'm assuming this is like a startup. It's got a bunch of people, some good iOS programmers. The site looks nice. The shots of the UI they show you looks like looks like a nice iOS app, right? You know, I mean, we know what we we know what iOS apps look like these days, and it looks like it's, it's done by competent people. Why is it that these five guys here? With this website, a web designer, some iOS programmers, a marketing guy. Like, why is it that they are doing this? And these car manufacturers with huge stables of highly paid, presumably intelligent employees are not. Why is this not? Why is this a third-party product? It's so, like, there's no reason every car manufacturer in the entire world shouldn't already have something that does more than this thing does. Like, build in that stupid thing, Bluetooth thing that connects to your the, the diagnostic port. Put a bunch of apps on your website. I mean, Casey's been talking about the thing he used for the BMW to send the stuff or whatever. But, like, it's like they have no idea what they're doing over there, the car makers. You know, it's not rocket science here. The, the five iOS people who made this application are not super geniuses. They're just competent, right? So I feel like this this just emphasizes to me how far behind the curve all car makers are in anything having to do with electronics and stuff because the technology is there to do so many obvious things i mean who's who's got the onstar gm is that a gm thing yep. mm-hmm. like they're so proud of onstar and how the person helps you and it's like that's like i look at that and it looks like 1960s tech it looks like you know pre-apollo mission nasa like oh great you're real proud of that and everything you know we've moved on we've got these pretty amazing devices <laughs> in our pocket that can do incredible things like this is an aftermarket hack saying see you stupid car manufacturers you didn't even have to put any smarts in the freaking car you need to just put this little dongle that probably cost them 25 bucks to make and then just write a decent ios app and you get all these features which you may or may not be interested in but i feel like this should be like 
the baseline that, well, of course, when you get your car, you download the app for it and you get all these features. Like, of course, you can control the entire media center within, get all your mileage information and find your car when it's parked. And just why wouldn't you have that? Well, you don't have it because car makers are pretty good at making cars, but terrible at anything having to do with software. It, It kind of reminds me of the, you know, the CES worst products through software thing that I wrote. It was like so many products that didn't used to be about software inevitably will be about software and if the companies that make those products don't get a clue about the software someone else is going to do it for them and or we're just going to be stuck with crap for a really long time or they're going to try to do it themselves and and do a terrible job like all these you know in-car uis that we talked about and everything that are not up to snuff so uh i give thumbs up to the automatic guys for doing something that the car maker should have done but i give thumbs down to the world for making it that so that this has to be a thing that exists as an outside third-party thing, and we're all excited about it. That's how pathetic the internals of cars are these days. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more about that, and it is really sad that that there isn't more manufacturer support. And I will say that that one thing that that I've no, that I've done with the BMW that's very cool is if you have. Um, God, what is it? BMW Assist, which is their knockoff OnStar. And I think, like you said, I might have mentioned this previously, but they actually have a very simple app, or at least it doesn't do much with my car, but I can unlock and lock the doors remotely, and I can see where the car is as long as within I'm within a mile of the car. And it is pretty darn accurate to the point that I could get within a couple of parking spots of where the car is. And so that's pretty nice. The, the thing that I think is kind of a miss on automatic is as a car nerd, and thus as a, not, as a non-regular person, I, I think it would be really cool if they had a very similar slick UI, but would show you real-time gauges. Like in a car with a turbocharger, maybe you could see a boost gauge, or maybe you could see oil temperature or something like that. And I mean, yeah, the, these are the things you could do if you were the actual car maker. I mean, this, yeah, this yeah. poor company has to just use that stupid diagnostic port, which was not designed for this purpose. But if you're making the car, like, you can do anything. You could put G-force sensors in there. You could you combine yeah, the cameras into a panorama to provide a pseudo 3D view of your car in relation to other tra- I mean, like the stuff we're talking about here is not like a, amazing new technology that they would have to uh, develop on their own. It's like existing technology used in applications that people already use and buy or existing game technology. And a, most of it is not safety related. So you wouldn't have all these sort of legal things. It's just kind of like, oh, nice to have. I want to see my all temperature. I want to be able to drag out a little, you know, gauge cluster thing and stick to my, you know, and it doesn't have to be an iPod. It can be your own screen or whatever, too. But I'm saying, like, take the easy way out, car guys. All right. You, you, so you can't make an iPhone. So you can't figure out how to make a screen with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and a good GPU and CPU and an operating. Sorry, there's too much for you. Fine. Just let us use the devices we already own. Write some nice apps for it. You can can you get five? Go to San Francisco, scoop up five people and <laughs> who, know, who know, you know, uh, UI kit and give them a bunch of money like I just think of all the money they spend on every other part of, of the car making process, and somehow it, it's it's left to these automatic people to show them like, despite your best efforts, car makers, we can still do things that people are amazed at uh, just by sticking a, a stupid dongle into this port that was never designed for this purpose. Well, and a lot of it, I think, is um, is is their desire. You know, we see this a lot in the, in the electronics business. It's it's each manufacturer's desire to uh, distinguish themselves through their software and their features. The last thing they would want would be to enable something like automatic uh, on a big scale, which would then 
give the exact same luxuries and the exact same features to any car, regardless of, of what brand it is. They, you know, they don't want that. They want their cars to run their proprietary stuff so they have an advantage over the other makers. Uh, people, of course, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying right. they should they should be making like they should be competing on the software that comes with their car. It's like, oh, I was going to get, you know, a, a Toyota, but you know, the the Nissan has much better apps. You know what I, I mean? Like, like the they mind. should be like when you buy like a Mercedes or a BMW, it should have awesome apps and the app should be like for, you know, maybe maybe Mercedes can have apps that only run on the iPhone 5 because that's a reasonable assumption if you're buying a Mercedes, right? Whereas like the Toyotas would have to have Android apps, or you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like uh, they can distinguish based on uh, price discrimination and who's likely to have a device, or maybe the very low price cars don't require you to have a, a, a expensive smartphone and they have a, some sort of built-in screen. Like, it should be like every other aspect of the car. You don't get the fancy super engine, you don't get the nice interior, but when you go up to the high class ones, I want to get awesome stuff. Now, I haven't seen these BMW apps that Casey has, but like. I, I'm just picturing them ahead, and I'm imagining they do not look even as good as these, like, potentially just mocked-up screenshots. On oh, the side God, of no. It. No, not at all. They're terrible. In other words, you're correct. They, <laughs> they do not look good. Yeah, and why is that? It's not like, does BMW not have enough money? They don't charge enough for their cars? Like, they can't afford to hire, <laughs> you know, one 21-year-old hipster to write their app? And it's not It's not rocket science. We know how to make apps. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, it's it's odd, and I, I guess I wonder: isn't this what Ford has been trying to do with the my what is it my Ford Sync or Ford? Yeah, Touch and I've and I've heard differing reviews on that. Some people say, "Oh, the stuff it's do like that's the thing." People are so starved; they're like, "Wow, it's amazing! You can do it because we just so so used to cars being the way they are." And despite all these other aspects of our life that we we accept that the you know the technology has made to progress, we're just amazed. Like, I can open the cars the car doors remotely with an app. Isn't that awesome? No, that's not awesome. You should have been able to do that like 20 years ago. In fact, you could with, you know, their little remote entry thing. But like it's we're we're so starved for features that the my Ford touch sync stuff. It's like, wow, the, all these features are great and they are interesting. But then the other hand, people say the way they're implemented, you know, they look like they were implemented by uh, by a car company and not by a software maker. So there's <laughs> this this is expectation gap. And but even despite the expectation gap, I've heard. Very bad things about my Ford Touch, but also very good things from people who are just amazed that you could do these things with a car. Before we leave the automatic topic, I do want to point out uh, one thing very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, in the driving feedback section of their site, it says, and I quote, Automatic learns about your driving style and gives you subtle audio cues when you do things that waste gas, like rough braking, speeding, and rapid acceleration. <laughs> See, they they missed an opportunity here because what they should have is the uh, make you a better driver mode that has nothing to do with fuel efficiency and has everything to do with like uh, whether your know, signals it, on signaling would be one thing. <laughs> the other thing I was thinking of is the people who, when coming to a stop, increase the pedal the pressure on the brake pedal as the car slows rather than decreasing it. <laughs> I, this how, how I, would you represent that with a subtle audio cue? I think what you would have to do is like show them an acceleration graph and see what you want is a nice smooth thing that does not cause the heads of the people in your car to snap forward. What you're doing is the opposite curve. You know, it would be like, you know, the, the curve would be instead of being like a, uh, you know, a, a ski slope going down, it would be like a hump, you know. And I, I would like a visual representation of that so then you can, you know, say, how's my driving? And he give you a star rating of like, your stops are not smooth. Or if, you, if you're learning stick shift, like you're not doing well accelerating because you haven't, you know, that's, 
that's a useful thing to do. I mean, you can, you can make it fun and interesting, different ratings and people helping you to learn how to drive. You could you can imagine a little app helping you to learn how to drive stick better with like a little, you know, the version of Clippy there uh, saying it looks like you're trying to heel toe, but you're doing it wrong. Right, and then you crash because you're looking too much at the app. Well, you know, it would have to be audio or whatever, but th- there are many options for uh, for driving here. But I this the the things that we can just think of things off the top of our head. Like if you had access to all the information that you know is available somewhere inside this car, you can do lots of interesting things. Even if you're just like you know, like Runkeeper, where you you know you do you go on your workouts and stuff. Why doesn't it you know track your your routes? And I maybe I guess. At a certain point, it becomes like a speeding type thing where you're trying to beat your best record getting from home to work. And I don't know. <laughs> I, I have lots of ideas, let's just say. <laughs> I don't know if all these ideas are good or possibly legal, but uh, this is just, you know, thinking about it for five minutes. And uh, car makers seem to not be interested in pursuing any of these or doing any of them well. And it really is a miss. I mean, just like you said, I know people like us, which granted are a small group and an an extremely nerdy group. But if if it was the choice between a 335 with or without a technology package, or maybe it's a choice between an Audi with an unbelievably good technology package with a really robust app and so on and so forth, and a 335, which has no such support. I mean, that I'm nerdy enough that I would think about going Audi. And then Marco would never talk to me again. But probably, you know, it's a price I might have. Well, to what's pay. funny though is, like when I was when I was looking for you know for our next family car, uh, I considered Audi, and I and I took a test drive back to back almost a year ago now uh, of a five fifty versus an A six, and what I found, I mean, obviously the five fifty is a faster car because there is no V eight A six, and they didn't have an S six to test drive at the time, uh, but. Uh, I liked a lot about the Audi uh, driving wise, like the the handling I thought was a little bit tighter than the than the standard five series. Like it it just, it didn't feel like as big of a car. There were things about it that I liked a lot. However, I really didn't like the computer interface to it, and and that was before I got the uh, Rocket. So I had never used iDrive before, so I wasn't like I was just biased towards iDrive. I really didn't like Audi's system, and I like I could figure out iDrive very quickly in the five series. And Audi's system in the A6 a year ago, I don't know if it's different now, but I think it's roughly the same. Um, it was just really not my style. I found it very unintuitive, and I found lots of things about it didn't work very well uh, in my you know twenty minutes of testing. So who knows? But like the car was great in a lot of ways, but it really bothered me how bad that interface was to these accessory features. And I think that only underscores, John, how important your point is about how important software is to these things. Whereas five years ago or 10 years ago when I bought a car, they didn't have all these built-in features, at least the ones in my price range didn't, uh, like all these media things, navigation things, you know, they didn't have those. So I would have bought the car based on just the car and the way it drove and those kind of factors. And now I will base my decisions more on things like software because it matters now and we've come to expect good things out of that now it's the same reason we you know we're willing to buy macs or even ios devices even if they don't have like oh well did you know there's like an eight core uh, android phone why don't you get the eight core phone isn't that better well no <laughs> software defines so much of the experience that it's obvious that of course you're not going to pick your phone or your personal computer uh based solely on hardware but that was not obvious you know decades ago it'd be like well i don't care what what i don't care that i have a dos prompt and you have a graphical user interface but my cpu has more megahertz than yours and it's you know that uh, we grew out of that and we've grown out of it with these things and cars 
the, I guess the car equivalent is like once they started to have nice interiors and stuff, it's like, well, yeah, this car is faster, uh, but this has more comfortable seats. It has a more pleasant interior. It, it's it's less noisy. It's like, oh, but that doesn't matter. Don't you just care about the performance figures? Well, no, of course. we. Ca- I care about where I'm sitting. And I want to live in a nice place. And software is just an extension of that where you don't just pick the car based on... Th- that was the analogy I was used to use back in the, the days of the PC weenies haranguing me about using a Mac. Uh, the, the eternal car analogy is good for so many things. Uh, because... <laughs> People like it would be ridiculous for for someone to say that they choose a car solely based on performance numbers because everybody picks on things like like how it looks, like what color it is on the outside, and you don't even see the outside when you're driving, like you barely see it, right? And yet that is such an incredibly important part of buying a car. No one would ever say you can't discount how a car looks on the outside. Of course, I'm not going to buy an ugly car, but an ugly computer, sure, yeah, I'll line up because it's you know it's it's faster and it's got more memory and it's cheaper and I can get a bigger hard drive and like. Uh, but you know, people, if, if you don't see it, you don't see it, but the cars, people totally accept it. And I think in iOS devices, you know, or, or you know, mobile devices, people accept that as well. People buy a, co- a phone because it's cute. Right. And, but you know, since it's mostly screen, obviously the software factors into that. Well, in cars, we buy a, based on all these criteria that have nothing to do with performance and software as it slowly absorbs like the inside of the car and becomes more prominent and, and as hopefully car makers or maybe third parties, if this is how it has to be, but I really don't like it. Uh, come to enhance the experience of owning a car by finally giving us some software that like matches what our computers and phones could do 10 years ago, that will become a defining characteristic. That's why I think it's like such there's a squandered opportunity. If, for example, Honda, like, you know, Apple buys Honda and totally integrates, you know, Apple does the entire software experience of the car. Suddenly Honda has become a lot more attractive for not much more money because it does not cost that much more money to wire up the components you need to let Apple go hog wild with your Honda. You know what I mean? Yeah, Missed opportunity. It is. And it's funny because as I'm hearing you talk about this, and I'm thinking to myself about how I've been raving about the fact that I can send an address to my car from my computer. That's you sound, it. You right. sound like, I, I can send electronic mail messages. Exactly. No, it's right. so and, ridiculous. And that is so impressive because it's so rare to be for something like yeah. that to actually be implemented and work that's so rare in, in the in the car business and and in the car you know in using in using most cars people have like it's so rare to have anything that's that technologically advanced by 15 years ago standards i mean for crying out loud we're, we're excited now that we have aux audio in we don't, we're not even asking for like actual audio controls or like the ability to to like you know pull songs from from a cloud-based streaming service or have have it integrated with itunes match we just want an aux audio in and we'll fumble with the stupid ipod someplace else and some of the cars have the ipod connector where oh now i can do next and previous track on the radio controls it's advanced technology it's like oh god we're willing to <laughs> we'll, we're willing to accept anything you know it's true, yeah, because you know our standards are just so low in this area. Yeah, well, the the car makers are are failing us, but yeah, it's it's not that our standards are low. My standards are very high. It's just that uh, we are so used to disappointment that we just give like we have no faith in car makers' abilities to figure this out. And because making a car is such a complicated endeavor, uh, like there's another thing I talked about in the, in the worst uh, worst products through software is like that cars the car makers are protected by the extreme difficulty of making a good car because the car parts of the car is really hard and you need lots of expertise and most importantly lots of experience just ask tesla or you know the uh, fisker karma or whatever all these all little car companies making a car is really hard and so it's very difficult for someone to say aha i'm going to disrupt the car industry by 
uh, I'll do the software part right, and then I'll just do, I'll just make the car part. You know, making the car part is actually pretty darn hard, and it costs a lot of money, and the barrier to entry is very high. So these guys are protected, sitting there with all with the collective inability to have a clue about software, and like, well, yeah, we can't figure it out, and we do a great job, but as long as we kind of do a similar job to our competitors, it doesn't really matter that the overall, the average level of the entire industry is terrible. As long as we're kind of in the mix, we're fine. We don't have to worry about someone who understands software coming out and making a better car because there's no way they'll figure out how to make a decent car. It's lo- a lot like the uh, cell phone business in like 2003. Yeah, well, because all, all the other cell phone makers, well, there was some more competition there because in the tech sector, like it's easier to make a, a cell phone than to make a car. Oh, definitely. Uh, in terms of, you know, it's like the experience, you can buy parts, you know, from other makers and put them together and make a decent phone. Uh, you you can buy an engine from somebody, you can buy a chassis from someone, and you can kind of hobble, cobble together some sort of Frankenstein car monster, but it's never going to be cohesive, and your manufacturing quality will be bad, and your assembly, like, this, it's the, it's the shame of it is that making a car is, is a very difficult thing to do to make it really, really well, and experience counts for a lot. So, as a kind of corollary question and i'm going to ask marco and then i'll answer and then john i'd like you to wrap it up uh who is going to be the first manufacturer to really get a clue and do this well what's your guess i don't know i think uh bmw has shown a lot of efforts to be fairly progressive with like ipod integration and uh now like the siri hands-free and stuff um they're not the only ones but they've certainly been pretty early to a lot of these things but i look at their software and and again like i it their software still looks like it's being made by car people and not by tech people and yeah. and that might never change so I, i'm not sure it will be them uh honestly it and, and another company i would think of off the top of my head might be well i was gonna say toyota because toyota is all is big on a lot of this like good interface, even though I disagree with a lot of their choices, but they at least care a lot and, and make some bold choices about things like good interfaces and, uh, you know, quantifying how well you're driving. Like, the Prius was very early to that, where, you know, to, to appeal even more to mileage-conscious people, the Prius has had that diagram showing you how it was using energy at any given moment. And and for the time, when at the time that came out... Uh, at first, that was actually a, a very advanced thing to uh, be showing in a car. So, you know, they I, I would say them, but Toyota is also um, really conservative with a lot of this stuff uh, in general. So I wouldn't necessarily think, think they would want, you know, they certainly wouldn't invite somebody in to, to redesign their entire media software experience like that. I, I can't see them ever doing that. They're, they're too... Uh, conservative and controlling for that so i'm going to revise my answer and say i would either expect it to come from bmw who seems pretty progressive in this area or i would expect it to come from an american company like maybe ford because they tend to work really closely with microsoft a lot and uh and i I can see it coming from that way uh maybe more so than a uh than a predominantly non-american company all right so I don't know, obviously, what the answer is, but I have a couple of guesses, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna stick with one. Um, my first thought was perhaps Mini, and I said that because they seem to be, like you said, kind of progressive, kind of bubbly and fun, especially for BMW, who 
depending on how you look at them, is arguably very stodgy. Um, but then it occurred to me, well, if they're going to do this really cool tech thing, why would they do it in mini? Yeah, they could probably get away with it, but doesn't that strike me as more of a 7 Series sort of thing? Also, so, mini, mini is... We should talk about Mini separately. Maybe we'll do that after the sponsor break, but uh, the way Mini is designed internally, the controls and everything, uh, it's very much like the retro... Uh, the retro true, look actually. takes priority, and so I can't imagine them revamping the interior enough to accommodate something like this. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I hadn't considered that. So I, so I don't think it's mini. My next thought was just like you said, maybe Ford, since Ford has shown some promise with the Ford Sync or whatever it's called. I can't remember the name of it, but it doesn't matter. The Ford thing that Microsoft did. But here again, I don't know. It seems like it's kind of half-hearted. Maybe that's just because it's Microsoft. Microsoft has a hard time doing anything progressive well. Um, but As I don't know. Ford. Yeah. So I, I thought, man, nah, maybe not Ford. And believe it or not, the one that I landed on that I think might, it is my final answer, although I'm going out on a limb here, is what about Scion? Because Scion seems to be Toyota, who is a stodgy company with, with progressive um, flirtations, if you will. They they use Scion to do things that are a little wild. Take the Toyota Beru, for example, which is a Scion in the, in the United States. I wouldn't be surprised if someone in Scion got hit with the smart stick and tried something a little wild with some sort of software integration. And I, I wouldn't I would say Scion is the most likely in my eyes. Well, I think the problem there though is you know what you said earlier about Mini, like it, it could be a cost thing. You know, I think a, yeah. directing something like a a radical new software. Um, environment directing that at a at young people is smart however it's going to have a cost premium and almost everything directed at young people in the car market is an economy brand so that they they might not be able to wedge that in necessarily uh at at the start i would agree but also consider software compared to the rest of the car is fairly cheap so i I don't know i mean i'm not disagreeing i I just really don't know so john what, what, what would you say so i think this uh this th- this revolution, if it comes at all, uh, is not going to come from the uh, expensive car manufacturers, which seems counterintuitive. It's like, wouldn't they have the uh, the room in their margins to uh, undergo a project like this? I mean, uh, I think they are. They do continue to try to make their software better, and they do spend money on it. But I think all of them, and in fact, most of the existing well-known car manufacturers – uh, have the have the problem of pride. They think they can do this stuff. Like I, I think they have departments that really feel like they are doing. Uh, they're at the cutting edge of car interiors and computer controls, and they don't want to hear about this automatic company where these five guys in a loft somewhere made this app that's better than everything they've been doing. You know what I mean? Like that in that video with that dude. Did you see that the video with the dude who makes the little ring noises for the BMW, Marco? Oh, of course. The CNBC right. originals. Right, right, right. So that guy in that room and that whole department and that whole organization, those guys, like, they're, they do not want to – they're not going to be receptive to the to the reality that they are just so far behind, right? So that's what – I think they will continue to dutifully make their stuff better, and perhaps that's how we arrive at it is like them over a long, long term, but it's not going to be a disruption thing. When I think about this, I think of it coming from – I don't want to name any specific company because all these specific companies make terrible cars, but like that's that's how disruptions work. Like, you know, 
I don't know, what is that Indian company? Tata or something, or e- even like some of the, the lesser known Korean uh, makers of cars. Like it's going to be, an, or maybe Hyundai is the best example that people might have heard of. It's going to be a company that doesn't yet have a name for itself, that doesn't have anything to lose, and it's going to be the type of thing, kind of like a Saturn or uh, it, where the entire line of cars, the entire brand of cars is defined by, oh, those are the cars that have the computer crap that actually works, right? Because it's a way in for an unknown car manufacturer, and it's not going to be on one model. It's not going to be on the just a specific model. It's going to be the type of thing where we say, if we make all our cars like this, right, it won't add that much to the cost. They can still be cheap cars. We're just going to commit to it. And this is going to be the reputation of our cars. It's not going to be, oh, that car where you don't have to haggle for the price or that car that's kind of like a Mercedes, but it's as reliable as, as a Toyota. You know, like their message will be, it's the car that does all those cool computer things. And they all do it. If you buy any of kind of like Apple stuff, they all do it. If you buy any of them, you will have this good experience. And I don't know who that is. I mean, Hyundai is probably, you know, has already kind of, done their thing and come up from underneath so it's probably going to be some car maker that we either haven't heard of or dismiss as a maker of crappy cars because you remember all the japanese makers were dismissed as makers of toy crappy cars right. that fell apart uh and they learn pretty quickly you know and they eventually become haunted but i think all the incumbents are have too much pride i mean th- that's why the, the american car companies have an advantage in that they're for uh, forever you know on the financial ropes like almost going out of business uh, Ford is actually an exception in this case. They've actually been doing well, and they've done a, a reasonable turnaround. But when you're on the ropes, you're more inclined to possibly partner with Microsoft or whatever. But those partnerships, like, I really feel like you have to either have, like, a real partnership where, like, you you become 50% owned by Apple or something. And, of course, that's only going to happen if Apple is interested. Like, that's not under your control. Uh or it has to be the type of thing where you say, you know what, we're going to build this expertise in-house. And it's not going to be a big deal because we're not displacing people who have been working here for 50 years, making the stupid little dingy tones who are never going to accept the fact that they're terrible at their jobs and be replaced with a bunch of young people to do something entirely different. You know what I mean? It would have to be, we're a small company. We No one knows who we are. We're going to build a reputation. This is what we're going to build it on and start staffing up now, you know? Uh I find that entire scenario very unlikely, and I think we're just going to continue to be stuck with the crappy cars from the existing manufacturers that we have now. But if it does happen, if we have a disruption that does happen, I think it's going to come from some company that makes cars that we all hate that we think are crap. Well, what about I, – I realized in the middle of, of, uh, of that block there that we've been, I think, forgetting uh, about something obvious. What about Tesla? Well, they're, they're already, they've already picked their thing, and their thing is our cars are electric. I think that's that's more than enough to bite well, off. But like, Tesla has made a dramatic, very progressive move uh, in in car software and and in the interface too. And, you know, we've talked in the past how we don't really necessarily care for how far they've gone with it, but uh, I think that's that's a very obvious possibility that they might be the ones ushering this in. Although they're going to have to get a lot more, you know, cheap mass market models out there before it can make much of a difference it's hard to tell with one data point because when i look at i think oh well they got they got good people to do this one interface but like i need at least two or three to see like a line or a curve you know what i mean to see if it's just i first of all that's clearly not their big thing they're focusing on they're focusing on it's an electric car we have these supercharger stations it's a revolution in transportation blah blah oh by the way oh by the way it also has futuristic interior if they take off tesla is completely positioned to say oh we actually need to staff up we need to have an entire department of people who just like i mean for example why is there no ios app for the tesla 
Like that's right in the center of their market. You know, everyone who's buying that thing has a smartphone, right? You know what I mean? Like, why doesn't that exist? It just, it looks like something that they sort of contracted out to be made to their specifications. They don't consider it a core competency of the company. It seems like the company is basically a battery, a battery manufacturer that wraps a car around it is trying to get some expertise in cars. Uh, and that's more than enough to bite off at once. If, if they succeed beyond everyone's wildest dreams, they will have the capital to do that. But I'm not sure if like, I always feel like, you know, a lot of people in the old Steve Jobs thing of like, uh, God, we can't, I can't, I can't stop talking about Apple on the car show. Uh, like when he went to Xerox Park and he saw all these different things, so networking, object-oriented programming, the GUI, and all he could see was the GUI, and he came back with the GUI. But there was two other great ideas right in front of his face, but it's like, I, I can only handle one at once. And I feel like the the people running Tesla, it's like, electric cars, man, and they just, they don't distract me with other stuff. Electric cars, man, no, but what about the U.S.? No, no, but yeah, we'll put a futuristic screen. I don't know if they can, I don't know if they can hold those two big ideas, or three big ideas, or four or however many there are in their head at once. I think maybe they just they just come back with you know the car equivalent of the GUI and they go nuts with that and maybe it takes someone else or maybe their second or third try to see those other things. That's why I feel like there's there's like three ideal homes in my head for for like where this technology would would have the biggest splash. Uh, you know where like you know a big revamp of the of the software experience in a car where that would have the biggest splash. I think one of them is the Prius, which we've already, you know, I've already said, I, I don't think Toyota would be that daring with it. Um, another one is the Chevy Volt, which had a, many of those same issues Tesla has, which is like they have to concentrate their their marketing and, and their differentiation. They have, they have to concentrate people's attention on the fact that it has such a different powertrain than every other hybrid and, or most other hybrids and the advantages that gives you. So obviously they can't really afford to, you know, have everything be focused on their software but and, and I, I don't think they actually did anything impressive I've, I've never actually been in a vault but i don't I, from what i remember i don't think they've done anything particularly noteworthy in the in the software uh, area there but um and then the third place i could think of would be uh you know basically in in premium sports sedans like things that upscale young people buy like a three series or an a4 um, I can see that going being a good place for it because there's margin for it, and people who are like kind of nerdy about what their car can do, I think they're likely to be picking cars like that if they can. Uh, so, so you'll definitely see the features in those things, but I really, I really think this type of effort has to be like product line wide, brand wide, top to bottom. Every single car gets it because it's not you, like. I, they don't feel like they can just do it for one car because yeah, you're right that the premium right. cars will continue to have these fancy features, but it'll just be like one-offs. Like even the stuff in the Prius, you know, I've been in lots of Priuses or Prii or however you, but the plural is, and they have interesting features in them, and it's good that they added them. But they're clearly features made by a car manufacturer. Like there's no, there's no understanding of like what a platform is, what a general purpose computing experience is. Like the possibilities that are there when you treat your car as a computing platform and and build it up in that manner all your cars like does it only make sense to do that for your entire car line it doesn't you it's probably not economically feasible or even wise to just to pilot it or but that's what they always do they're just like oh well we'll put the features in the high-end car and they'll trickle down to the other ones and by the time it gets down to my honda accord it's got like the worst touchscreen experience in the entire universe because it's basically <laughs> technology that's from you know the high-end cars from five years ago which were already awful you know so it's not like it has to be i think it has to be if we're talking about some sort of 
wow, that's the car with all the computer stuff that works. It has to be that type of thing. Uh, but like I said, I, don't, I find that less likely than what Marco's talking about and that we'll just continue to have slightly better stuff, slightly less embarrassing. It does a little bit more just year after year, continually lagging like what the rest of the tech industry does, but still making positive progress. This episode is sponsored once again by Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace, you know, they, they gave me a script, but I'm going to ignore it. Look, uh, Squarespace is awesome. And this is a place where you can go and host your site. And that site can be a blog, it can be a portfolio, it can be your business site if you run a shop or a restaurant or a consulting firm or anything. You can, you can put all this stuff on Squarespace. You can put your podcast there. This podcast is there. Um, really, it's fantastic. And it lets you, it lets you build a beautiful-looking site with very little effort. You don't have to hire your own designer. You can, you can use their built-in templates, um, or you can customize everything if you really want to. Uh, but where they really shine is people who don't already have stock designs there or pre- predefined designs they want to use who want to just make a website and not, not have to like, work on it for months. You, know, you can go there and build something in minutes or a couple hours if you really want to put a whole lot into it, and it's done. And then you don't have... You know, the hosting is built in, if you get linked to by somebody big, it won't go down. I mean, it's, it's really a fantastic platform. Uh, so go to squarespace.com. Uh, look at their plans. You can even sell stuff now with the commerce stuff, which we've talked about in previous episodes. Uh, it's really a, a complete all-in-one platform for hosting so many different kinds of websites. And it's so consumer-friendly. Uh, as I said, I, I recommend that everybody go to Squarespace uh, to build stuff like this because... You know, people always ask me where I should build my site. You know, how do I put up a website? You know, non-technical people a lot of times ask me that. And even technical people. I mean, look, I'm putting stuff there. It's a great place to go. So check out Squarespace. Uh, use coupon code NEUTRAL3 at checkout. That's NEUTRAL and then 3 for the month of March. Uh, NEUTRAL3 at checkout will save you an additional 10% off their already very affordable plans, which start at about 10 bucks a month. So uh, check out Squarespace. And thanks to them for sponsoring NEUTRAL. I, All right, still so, should, I still think we should tell, sell T-shirts on, on Squarespace. <laughs> we, we can. They, they do allow that. Your advertising is working on me. We would need to have T-shirts first, though. Um, but anyway. We, well, we could have a contest. <laughs> um, I did want to Even. come back briefly to Mini. Yeah, I was going to say A few people thing. have asked us about that, including uh, somebody named Huali Fu in the feedback. A few people have asked about what we think of Mini. And um, I have my opinions. Do you guys want to start, though? Yeah, I can I mean, go because I, I, I'll be quick. Uh, I ignore Mini because I think their cars look silly. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Easy enough. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So I, uh, when I was buying the Subaru, which you guys adore so much, uh, I actually also looked at getting a Mini Cooper S. And if memory serves, at the time, they were still, they were still supercharged and not turbocharged. And I also looked at the uh, Scion uh, TC or whatever the little coupe thing was, which had like three horsepower. Right. Um, I, I liked the mini in principle. I hated the humongous centrally mounted. Is that the speedometer in there? Is that right? Um, I thought that was obscenely ugly and stupid. I liked that it was a fair bit of car for at the time. Okay. Money. It was still a little bit expensive for what it was, but it wasn't atrocious. Uh, I thought it was kind of, kind of cool that it was a front wheel drive car with limited slip differential, which you didn't see too terribly often. But for a bunch of reasons, mostly size, go figure, it, the Mini is actually kind of small. Isn't that weird? Um, I, I didn't end up doing it. And in retrospect, I'm kind of glad because I don't t- typically care for front-wheel drive cars. I d- didn't want something that small, even though I 
strictly speaking, had no reason for anything bigger. And I don't know, it just didn't feel like me. And and I've driven a Mini Cooper S after that. I never actually even got as far as test driving one when I was thinking about it. And I drove a Mini Cooper S, and I believe this was the last year of the supercharged ones. And it was definitely fun. And it was moderately peppy, but it was nowhere near as quick as the Subaru. And the Subaru, while fast, is not Marco's rocket. So I, I liked it. It was fun. But I, I didn't feel like I, I never had a pang of regret by not having one. And that, and when I see them, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool if, if it's a Mini Cooper S. And I guess you're kind of a car person if you got the Mini Cooper S, but meh. I think I, I agree with almost everything you just said. Uh, in, in fact, maybe even everything for, for the first time ever. Uh, although you would, you would probably <laughs> get it in white. Uh, but No, I would get the, the Union Jack on the roof, man. Come on. <laughs> awesome. I'm not kidding. Um. I, I, we looked at Mini for Tiff's car. I drove Minis a lot during my Zipcar year in Brooklyn uh, before I discovered the 328. Um, I, 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 so I, I've driven Mini... I, I, I should clarify, these were all Mini Coopers, and now they have like 14 models, but uh, I've driven the Mini Cooper a lot. Um, and although not even the... There's a new one now. I think it's like a year old, but the one before that I drove a lot. Um, overall, I, I really enjoyed using it as a zip car, like a temporary rental, any kind of rental, I think a Mini is a fun choice. But I also am not, I'm not sure I would want to own one. Part of the problem is, of course, yes, it is very small. And that's, kind of, that's part of the appeal also. It, does, it is a fun car to handle and a fun car to drive and, and an easy car to park. Uh, part of the problem, though, is just that because it is kind of BMW's brand aimed at young people it, it's it's it attempts to be inexpensive in the u.s and it really isn't uh it it really is not a very good value uh, also it has terrible resale value so as a result uh finance and lease rates are, are pretty hostile for it and <laughs> you end up like you can almost lease a 328 for the same price as a mini even though at retail it's like a t- it's like a ten thousand dollar difference um but you know the, the lease rates are, are terrible on them usually um, they also, you know, reliability-wise, they don't have a very good history. You know, generally speaking, you probably shouldn't have an old Mini, and they have a lot of resale issues because they are so incredibly customizable. They, there are all these different paint options, decals and stripes and mirror finishes, and, like, you, you can get so many different cosmetic choices, which is part of the appeal of buying one. If you want something really, like, custom-looking look, that looks like it's your personality, you have way more than, like, the standard five colors to choose from. But the problem is... Nobody wants to buy your crazy combination that you made at resale. <laughs> so uh, it, it's harder than, like, that's, that's part of what damages the resale value, and, and part of it makes it harder to find used ones. In addition to them having mediocre, at best, uh, reliability ratings, the market for used ones is terrible. So overall, they're not a very good value. Um, they, they are, though, they're very fun to drive, and they have decent engine specs, for, especially for their size. But the interiors, I find, are, are just miserable. I, I don't think... Part of it is that retro design that we mentioned earlier, and you mentioned how the, the big speedometer is in the front, and like the, the, window, the electric window switches are in the middle with these ancient-looking switches. Like, it's made to look all retro, but I think in, in trying to achieve that, it's appealing to a retro image that most of the buyers have never seen. Most most people who buy minis have never been in the original old British car that they're that they're made to look like. And instead, you know, we would appreciate things like 
more friendly designs of the controls and dials. Um, and they, they've, they've chosen not to do that for the most part. So that's, that's part of the problem. Um, and the other thing is just, you know, if for, for what you get, there are so many better choices. So I feel like it's a decent choice if its strengths are your top priorities, and but know what those are. Its strengths are that it looks pretty cool from the outside, and it's really small. That's great. If that's what you're going for, then sure, consider it. And if those are your top priorities, uh, if you if you have other priorities though, like oh, if those just aren't that important to you, and you instead want like maybe a compact, efficient, fun to drive car, there are other choices that are better. I think, such as. Uh, well, the Toyota Baru for one—that's that's a big that's one. That's exactly what I was thinking. Actually, <laughs> that's that's a really obvious uh, choice. But even even like even in the less sporty category, um, you know, off the top of my head, I'm not really sure. But I mean, the problem is like when you configure one of these, it ends up being almost thirty thousand dollars, right? I mean, yes, I haven't looked yes. for like two years, but well, it, when I was looking, it was it, and this was two thousand four. It was kissing 30 grand or maybe even just barely over i forget now it's been so long but it was it was a lot more money than i would have thought well you know the market is ripe for the right kind of retro and the uh the toyota baru uh is a a great example of it but like that that's a throwback to you know the the original like you know the original z cars like a small rear wheel drive reliable japanese sporty car that's not too fast but it's fun light and all that good stuff what you're talking about is like what are the alternatives to the mini? The mini is kind of a, a grotesque version of what we used to have a lot of, which was the relatively cheap, lightweight, fun, sporty car. Not just rear wheel drive, but even front wheel drive. I mean, think think of the Honda CRX. Yeah, People love that car. Oh, that's People true. absolutely f- like CRX owners talk to them. They will still talk. And what in, about like the old in, Ford Fiesta too? In hushed tones. No, no one likes that car. No? I thought I thought people <laughs> liked that. No, come on. This, if, oh, no. The CRX is a good example. I think the, but, but the, the CRX had like a cult following, right? The Prelude. Where yeah. the heck is the equivalent? The Prelude used to be a staple of Honda's lineup, but you know, like the choice was either you keep bloating it up like the Subaru until it becomes not the Subaru, the Supra, like Toyota Supra until it becomes this gigantic, super expensive bloated beast that has no recognition of the car from whence it came, or you just can it like the CRX, and you know they have the CRZ, but everyone is like, no, that's not what we meant. Uh, even the Integra. <laughs> the Integra was another example. It's like the Integra just keeps getting bigger and morphs into the RSX, and it's like it's losing. You know, there is the market is still there. I think, especially now for the people who like owned a CRX as their first car yep. and maybe now have a little bit more money, make the you know do the do the uh, you know FRS BRZ thing. Make a modern version of that type of car. The Miata is the one that's actually stayed true to its soul. It's still small, lightweight, convertible that you toss around that's not fast and not like, oh, the next Miata is going to go 0 to 60 in 4 seconds. No, it's not. It's going to be a Miata. I mean, it's gotten a little bit bulkier for safety reasons and stuff, but the you know, the Mini is like good idea, not not th- for 30 grand, you know what I mean? Right. Like that a little fun toss around car. It, the the Mini reminds me of like an ugly British CRX. <laughs> I will say maybe a good alternative would be a Golf. Actually, the GTI is a very good call, though it's similar money. Well, maybe, but well, like the base Golf. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not that it's slow, but I think you're right. I think you're on. Well, the base actually. Mini is slow too. Yeah, that's a fair point. Very fair point. You know, I, um, I I would say if I would if I had to buy either the Mini or the Golf, I I might pick the Golf. I tend to agree, and I'm a little surprised, John, you didn't bring up the Civic. I mean, the Civic has also gotten oh, the, bigger the, the and bulkier the and Civic, heavier. I mean, it's true, but the Civic Si was like the, you know, the last 
it's Civic SI still has a little bit of cred in that area where it's like you want a cheap car. I mean, again, these are like front wheel drive performance cars. What the heck are you talking about? But, you know, there's <laughs> like people enjoy them because they're, they're cheap. They're lightweight. Kids can own them. They're fun. They're, you know, they're quirky without being like, you know, comically uh, quirky like the Mini. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to slam the Mini. Like if you want a car that's like that, that's, you know, it's kind of like the, the, the new Beetle bug thing, right, that they made much uglier in the new revision. But like, if that's what you want, you, you know, it's good that that car... I like the fact that there's an idiosyncratic car maker that you either you want, know you want that or you know you don't want that. Uh, but there, I, there's definitely a market for cars that harken back to all the things that modern cars have gone away from. And, yeah, the Civic has gotten big and ugly and weird. And, you know, it was the Civic was always kind of boring. But, you know, the SI was supposed to be the exciting one. And even that one, people complain with each new SI. It's like, oh, this isn't the SI that I want. I, I, they all want it to be lighter. They want it to be cheaper. Uh, they want it to be high revving, you know? It's sort of like the M3, actually, in that the M3 gets more and more bloated each year. And all the BMW nut jobs are always like, oh, God, they made the M3 heavier again. And now it's the M4 if you get a coupe, which I still don't know if I really agree with. They're, but, they're, uh, they're kind of holding the line on the Like, I think the M3 is, is fluctuating. It's kind of like the 911 where, yeah, it gets more modern. And, yeah, they went from air-cooled to water-cooled. But, like, you can't stop progress. But you just want to – again, the BRZ is a great example. You just want to recapture the spirit of the car. You don't have to match it spec for spec. And maybe it's not even possible or wise. And a lot of it is nostalgia. Like, you know, the, the noise levels and comfort levels are, and performance of those old cars are really terrible. But you just have fond memories of it because it was a long time ago but just capture the spirit of it or you know do what the miata is and just carry that spirit forward preserving it as best you can in a modern mold yeah i agree i will say also to complete the discussion on many there they, they now have so many models that you know i've been basing almost all of what i've said on the cooper because that's what i drove i will say though they had they they now have bigger ones um and one of the things we looked at was um I forget what it's called. I think it might be the Countryman. There, there's that, it's it's the one that came out like two years ago and had all wheel drive for the first time. I believe that's right. Although I'm probably wrong, and you can email Marco. Um, whichever one has, we'll have to look it up. Whichever one of them had all wheel drive for the first time and came out about two years ago. Um, it, and it, the problem with that one, we we went to go for Tiff's car. We were considering that because we wanted all wheel drive for it. And we wanted a little more space than uh, the Cooper, a little more storage. So. We went to a dealer and and we sat in one of the showroom and we didn't even want to take a test drive. Just just having sat in the showroom, that was enough. We're like, you know what? This interior is still terrible. It's the same. It was the same mediocre interior from the you know the base level Cooper at a much higher price point because it was like a bigger you know I guess more upscale type model. Um, and you know the interior was still terrible and proportionally it really looks like an SUV. Like, it's it's very, it's very not very Mini anymore. Like, And I feel like a lot of their models are doing this where, yes, the Mini appeals a lot to young people. Just as a brand, as an aesthetic, it appeals a lot to young people. But young people often have the beginnings of a family or have to haul stuff back and forth to college or something. And so that's why hatchbacks are so popular among young people and why so many small, cheap cars are hatchbacks. Um, to have that kind of cargo versatility. And so Mini has tried to address this by making all these additional models that are bigger and fatter and, and have more cargo room and more seating room and more doors. You know, they, they, they have four-door Minis for the first time in the last couple of years than they've ever had before. Um, and, and I feel like that's kind of 
messing with why people bought them in the first place. And so, yeah, they still offer the Cooper, and that's good, and they probably always should offer that. But I, th- I think they're overreaching in in what they should be doing and focusing on by having all these additional models because they're not doing anything very well. And like, if you're in the market for the big fat mini with four doors, I feel like it's a pretty terrible uh, contender for that role. And they're, and all the other competitors to it are better choices than that. Well, I mean, they see, they see what people are buying and it's like, everyone else has a small SUV and you know, we need to we need to have a small SUV. I mean, like when Lamborghini is making an SUV, you know the pressure is on for everyone to like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at least Ferraris held the, held the line with the four door four wheel drive thing, and they're not making an SUV. But like it, you know, small SUVs sell like crazy, and that Mini knows they're never going to make a car as good as the Rav Four, right? They're not going to make a uh, you know they may not even match the CRV, but they can make a small four door looking kind of sport you thing. And what does it have that all those other cars don't? It looks kind of like a Mini, or kind of like you peeled the skin off a of mini and stretched it over a rav4 right. uh and so you know people are in the showroom presumably they like that bug-eyed big mouth look and here's a bug-eyed big mouth thing but couldn't we get a little bit bigger and with four doors and yeah that's kind of i like those small suvs and this one looks like a mini uh that's it's kind of like i keep bringing up the lexus you know rx 300 now the 350 that became their best-selling model and it's like well, I, Lexus, wasn't those not their nice, fancy luxury cars? Some of them are kind of sporty and elegant looking, and you're going to make this weird truck-looking thing? Oh, best-selling model. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a business, after all. Like, And so yeah. I don't know how these things are selling, but uh, I, I don't blame them for trying. Well, I, I guess uh, in summary of my mini opinion, uh, I think it's overall a pretty poor value, and so you have to love it for other reasons. Um, and and I and and those reasons are mostly aesthetic, uh, especially from the exterior. Um, if you're looking for other priorities in a car, I think a Mini is a pretty bad choice. And I, and I think I like the idea that the car makers are out there like that, car like Saab. You know, you either you know you like a Saab or you know you don't like like right. idiosyncratic car makers that you're not like that's their whole brand. They're not going to make it bland. They're not going to tone it down. It's going to, they're going to be distinctive in a particular way. And as consolidation has happened and, you know, as the car makers all get owned by fewer and fewer things, they all starting to look more of the same. And they're all making mini SUVs. I, I don't like the fact that cars are, you know, I, I like the diversity, the, maybe it's just hindsight, but the diversity of the weirdness in cars that existed when I was younger, I, I miss that in in the current market. And yeah, mini, mini is an example of one still like, oh, there's still some weirdness out there. So it's weirdness I don't like, but it's definitely weirdness, and I like that it's out there. 